Good morning, Chair City Church. So good that you are joining us once again for week three in our new current teaching series, Weird Stuff in the Bible. Uh, and again, once again, we're bringing it to you via video. Glad for the technology. I do miss you so much, as does my family. We will be back with you next week. And like I said, it'll be a special time. Now, in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at these stories in the Bible where we come across details and they just seem kind of weird, hard to wrap our mind around that. And what we're proposing is that what seems weird to us is what contains nuggets of wisdom that God has for us. Now, I'm not sure where you are today in your life. It could be that you're in the middle of a challenging time. And, you know, and by the way, that's not really like very insightful or discerning on my part because life by and large is difficult, right? I mean, you're plugging away, you're going through the motions and, and by your own assessment, you don't think you're really keeping it together, right? You don't think you have what it takes to keep it afloat. You don't have the resources to just keep this moving along. You're feeling a bit low, low in critical areas of your life, low with faith, low with hope, low with joy, low with peace. Low levels are happening in your life. Now today we're going to look into the life, uh, some events in the prophet uh, Elisha, just as we did last week. I'm going to jump right into 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now, he is, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? What a, what a great few words to say to somebody who's in a, who's in a dire time, in a difficult time. How can I help you? Tell me, Elijah, Elisha says to the woman, what do you have in your house? The woman replied, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. So this woman's in a, in a devastating place. She's got no money, little resources. She's got nothing of value, according to what she says in her possessions. And now... She's about to lose her two sons after losing her husband to death. Her struggles are real. Her problems are real. And her problems can't help us pause and kind of put some things into perspective for us, right? Meaning, if you talk to, and again, you know, I don't want to be condescending or... or um, Minimize people's difficulties. As we said last week, God cares about our small problems. But there are problems, and then there were like, I don't know, problems. And yet it's some of those things that really can seemingly overwhelm us and distract us in a negative way. And what I'm getting at is, you know, if you talk to, like, say, missionaries, like, say, our friends Lex and Renee Edme, you know, you might hear them say that there are, like, these first world problems and these third world problems, right? Like... There are problems that we have in our country or difficulties that, you know, that are unique to our country and our culture that you might not have in a third world country. For example, you know, you know if you're, uh, you know, you're not happy, you know, how would I say? Um, for instance, like today, you know, I wanted to go out, I wanted to go down uh, into my kitchen and get a nice ice cold glass of iced tea, you know, and when I went down in there, 
you know, because my refrigerator makes its own ice cubes. And when I went down in there, there was my father-in-law fixing the refrigerator and working on the refrigerator. So that's great. I was deprived of, you know, even of going to, I, I was deprived of going into the refrigerator, going for all that was in the refrigerator, and I was deprived of getting my nice cold drink with ice cubes in it. And then I figured, okay, later on, I thought, all right, you know what? I've been working all day. I'm cooped up. I'm going to go and hang out out on the deck and just relax out on the deck with my nice cold glass of iced tea. I had the ice cubes now. And I go out on the deck, and there's my father-in-law, and he's working on the deck now. Huh? So now I can't even turn around and work on a deck. I mean, and hang out on a deck and relax on a deck. So the, these, are, these are first world problems, right? And it was a tough day for me. I got through it, right? Now, if you're laughing as you're listening to me preach, knowing the relationship that I have with my father-in-law, you know, uh, you should know that as you're listening to me preach, I'm probably listening to my father-in-law and my mother-in-law go back and forth, but mostly listening to my father-in-law telling me things like, you didn't pack the car right and you didn't put enough oil in the car. Huh? Again, consistent with our relationship. But listen, this isn't the type of problem we're talking about in what's going on in this woman's life, right? And I'm sure, like this woman who had real problems, some of you right now have real problems in your life, tough problems. You're, not, you're here today, you're not sure what's going to happen in your marriage. Finances are not what they need. That just settles in on so many of us. Gardner, I think out of 330-something towns in the city of Massachusetts, I, I think we're like in the, in the lowest 5%. Uh, certainly low is 10%. I think we're like 300, it was 305 as of a handful of years ago, but it's somewhere in there. Meaning finances are, are a struggle for many of you. Health can be a serious problem. Matters with loved ones. You're scared, you're shook up, you're, you're, you're drained. Lowish, low on your strength, low on resources. Funds are low, fear is high. Faith can be low. So, I want you to know today, however big the need is, and clearly with all of that, there's some significant needs going on. However the need is for provision, no matter how intense and real the problem is, I believe that God is a God of provision. Uh, this scripture teaches us and shows us over and over that God, our God, is a God of provision. And, and that's what this story, that's one of the truths that this story brings out to us. So let's keep going in the story. Verse 3, it says, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and ask your sons. Shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each jar is filled, put it, on, put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, to her and ke she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. So she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So let's look at the weird in the story. The weird part is, the woman had a small jar of olive oil, and Elijah, the prophet, instructs her to go back and collect a bunch of empty jars. So kind of part one of weird. 
And, and so she's saying, hey, all I have is a small, when she said, what do you have? She goes, all I have is a small amount of oil, meaning it, it, it's going to take less than a minute to pour out what I have into an empty jar. And now, now I have a, a small jar of oil and a bunch of empty jars. And some of you, that's where you are. Just like this woman, she's near empty and getting ready to go on empty. You're there. You're empty. You don't have much to give. I want you to know this. When you don't have what you want, God is what you need. When you don't have what you want, God is what you need. It's so important to pause and to grasp that truth. In our seasons of lacking, our times of feeling empty, right, we start to think about the what to fill our needs. What will fill our needs when our first thought should be who, the who will fill our needs. And that who is God. Think about the who, not the what. What? It's the first step you want to go in your thoughts. It's the greater trajectory. It's, it's the one that's going to bring you more peace, more calmness, more collectiveness. It's the one that's going to sort of keep you from making a better decision, you know, than a rash decision. It's the one that's going to keep you out of desperation. Huh? God will supply our needs. You got to tell yourself that this morning. My God will supply my needs. God used in this woman's life what was empty to display his ability to provide. Clearly, it was the empty jars of the neighbors that was the vehicle to contain the oil to supply what the woman and her sons needed. The neighbors couldn't lend the oil. They couldn't bring the jars and, and gift the oil to the woman. The jars were empty. God wants us to learn the value of being empty. It's the crux of this, the core part of this story. God wants us to learn the value of being empty. And that's because our empty seasons can turn into dependent seasons. This is one of those sermons that kind of poke you, right? But listen, dependence on God is the best place you can be, period. The greatest place you can be in your life, and there might be different ways of articulating this or saying this, but, but the summary of it all is that you are dependent on God. I, and, and, you know, again, I say there are some things I struggle with, there's some things I didn't get right uh, still to some extent, but early on, this is one of the things I got right. And, and, and I explained it in a conversation I had with one of my brothers when after about a year of me being in a faith or a year and a half, he said, you know, Dave, I'm just going to just put it right out there with you. I really think this Christian thing, uh, this church thing, it's really just an emotional crutch for you. And I paused and, you know, in the past I would have just like lunged right back at him, but I, I just wasn't there, man, by the grace of God. And, and really, I think when we were talking, I was in a trajectory where I was more concerned with him coming to know Jesus than I was with myself. Powerful. And I said, you know, Michael, I said, if you're saying to me that I need Jesus in order to get by in life, that I'm kind of really, you know, I'm dependent on Jesus to, to get by in life and to live life, I says, you're absolutely right. I said, actually, you're really, I don't just need Jesus as a crutch. I need him as two crutches in the ground I walk on. Jesus is everything to me. Jesus 
is everything to us. Let us be dependent on our God. Listen, you want to, as you grow in your relationship with God, you want to be looking to see in all of your life, where can I depend on God? Is there any area in my life where I'm not depending on God? This is an opening for the devil. This is an opening. This is an invitation for your adversary, Satan. Because if you're not depending on God, pause. Who are you depending on? What are you depending on? Listen, you might be thinking, you know what, Dave? This empty season, you know? <laughs> what do you mean that it's a good thing? What do you mean that it's beneficial to me? Do you understand all the difficulty that's going on in my life? Do you understand all, all, all the wrong, all the problems? Are you going to tell me that there's value in this? There's value in all this mess? And my answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Empty seasons, right? When you're feeling empty, when you think you're lacking, when you don't think there's enough there for you to keep going in a particular area of your life or in all of life, these empty seasons are valuable because there is nothing greater than for you to depend on God. There is no greater moment, and we kind of referred to this last week, than when you come to the end of yourself and you can sit there and have this honest, open, intimate conversation and connection with a holy God, a living and a loving God, you know? You see, God wants to turn our empty seasons into dependent seasons. This is a mindset I, I want you to embrace. I want you to begin, begin to scan your life, assess your life. Where is it that I am not depending on God? And just pause. Don't run away from it. Don't start to think, oh, all you got to do to make the changes. Just pause and just acknowledge it. And just acknowledge it and hold on to it and have this moment with God. God, it's right here. I'm not depending on you right here in this area. One way to change your perspective, to change your perspective to where you are realizing the benefit, the gain of an empty season being a time and a channel for you to turn around and depend on God is to stop looking at what you want. Huh? So let's go to verse 2 and read it again. It says, Elisha says to the widow, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. She says, your servant has nothing there at all except a small, a small jar of olive oil. Isn't it interesting that, or common, that when we are in times where we're lacking, where we're hurting, where we just feel empty, insufficient, that the only thing you see is what you don't have. I, as you know, I, I, I do, I counsel people often, hours and hours, the last few weeks have just really been dozens of hours counseling with people, and often... I see that, that pattern that when people are feeling empty in all of their lives or in areas of their life, critical areas, they, they, they tend to only see what they don't have, what they're maybe being deprived of, what, what, they're, what is insufficient, rather than and, and not seeing what they do have rather than seeing what, what, what God has done, rather than seeing what strengths do exist, rather than seeing the good that is there. That doesn't change that truth, but it helps us manage life in spite of 
that truth. And it helps us put us in, in, and change our perspective now. We we're more inclined to God. We're more now focused on God. Our eyes are fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, than on his enemy, the tempter and the discourager, to show us, okay, this is what you don't have. And by the way, now the more we focus on it, it becomes bigger and bigger, and it's all we see. And you know what? We don't now depend on God. We now begin to depend on ourselves. We actually wind up turning away from God. Listen, when we have this posture and this attitude, and when our attention, our affections, you know, drift to God rather than drifting to what we want, we will benefit. Otherwise, we'll miss the good that we have, right? Our attention and our affections will go apart from God and will and it'll go to look and to pursue and to desire what we don't have and we're missing all the good in what we do have. And one of the reasons this happens is we get caught up in comparisons. And, and we hit this several times a year because it's just such a, uh, an unhealthy, common part of our culture currently right now. These comparisons. Comparisons will cause you, they'll drive you to make poor decisions. Comparisons will cause you to see things in a warped way, right? You look at your family members and where they went on vacation or, or that friend who got that car and that coworker who got that position and, and you're just in this mode of constantly comparing yourselves to other. And the only time you could feel good or bad is depending on what people did or didn't do. But what about just you and God and what's happening in your own life? What about what God has done in you and gleaning into and taking gladness and joy from, from even your awareness that there is a God and awareness of right and wrong and a sense that God is love and he's with you and his mercy and grace has been poured out in your life. This becomes minuscule to so-and-so just got married and look at that wedding, right? When you compare yourself to someone else, your marriage to someone else, your family to someone else's family, what's happening is your joy is being robbed. Your joy is being robbed. And if you go into Philippians, you'll see there where Paul talks about in chapter 4, I think it's verse 4, he says, rejoice, rejoice, and I, again I say rejoice. And then kicking down now in, in verses like 6, he talks about being thankful. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. And what's happening there is thanksgiving is such a critical component to having joy. But if you're, not, if, if you're going to be comparing to yourself to what others have and thereby eventually wanting what they have, you're not going to be grateful. You're not going to be thankful for what you do have. You're going to be robbed of your joy. You're going to be more settled into a place of discontentment. You're going to struggle to be thankful. You're going to be really, really you're just, it's going to be almost impossible for you to get this perspective of gaining and growing and benefiting from an empty season. It's going to be almost, uh, it's going to escape you to think that God right now has me in this place of an empty season so that I'll depend on him and he's going to do something miraculous in me, right? Stop looking at what you want so that you could benefit in your time in this empty season. The next order is start working with what you have. In the story, it says that the widow, what she's saying is basically, I have nothing at all except a small jar of oil. Now you might think, okay, you know, 
a small jar, jar of oil has no value, the way it seemed to be put forward, the way she's expressing that. And actually, a small jar, jar of oil had a lot of value. Oil was very hard to come by in those days. It was very valuable. It had many uses. It was very much in demand. It, it was used for many, and even one of them was oil was used for an offerings and prayers to God. So the woman actually had something valuable. It might not have been enough, right? She didn't think clearly that it was significant. But what she didn't realize, and what she might have forgotten, is that our God specializes in doing a lot with a little. She forgot that our God takes a little bit and does an incredible amount with it. When we believe that our God is an exponential God, that he will do a lot with our little, this is huge, we start working more and more with what we have. Now, you, I want you to walk out of here today with this truth. When we believe that God can do a lot with our little, then we move forward with what little we have with all that we have, all our passion, all, all that spiritual edge we talked about last week, with what little we have, and we're trusted in God, and it's God who multiplies it, who God who works exponentially in that, and he will do a lot with our little, right? We see that in the life of Jesus, do we not? Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread, a few loaves of bread, turns water into wine. Jesus heals a blind man with mud, with nothing. And most of all, most mind-blowing of all is that Jesus changes the world with 12 seemingly not thought well of undesirable men. Jesus did that. He changed the world with these 12 men. And by the way, even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe in Jesus is who he said he was, he did exist, and he did change the world with these 12 undesirable not thought well of men. That's just a historical fact, right? And today, two billion people in the world call Jesus Christ their Savior. Because Jesus did so much with so little. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I do have a little bit of a lot of things, and one of them is faith. But even Jesus said that even if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Even, even if you just... Trust God. Just bring some faith to the table. Look at that one area where you're not depending on God today in your life. Likely you're empty. Likely it's nowhere near what it should be. Likely your levels are low in that area. You're near running dry. You're running on fumes. And if you would say, okay, here's the area where I am really, honestly, not depending on God. Okay, what... How much faith, what faith can I bring to this area to begin to depend on God right now? I got a glimpse of this early on in my uh, trying to stay. I have to stay close here. I can't run around too much today. So uh, I can still talk with my hands. I just can't run around with my feet and my legs. Early on uh, in our marriage, well, I think it was maybe first or second year in. Uh, Christy uh, gets invited. We get invited to Christy's cousins getting married. 
And you know, as the day approaches, I'm hearing Christie's parents talk about, you know, this guy that's going to be there. And he's, uh, I think he's uh, part of the family, or he's a close friend of the family. And uh, from what I'm hearing, he's a really large man, big guy. He's incredibly obnoxious, rude, and very vulgar. So, you know, right away, I, I've grown a bit, but back then, I, I, my mind starts to go. And man, I'm already in my head anticipating the confrontation with this guy. And I'm anticipating punching him in the face. It just, man, it's just where I was, you know. I, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm in conflict with the guy. I'm battling with the guy. I'm on him, right? And, and now the day of the wedding arrives, and I catch myself having these thoughts. And I'm just like, just God, forgive me. I'm so, God, I'm just, what am I doing here, man? I, this, is, this is how I, forgive me, God. You, you deserve so much better. And, 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 I'm, and yet, I, then I go back to having a thought. And, I, and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, God, just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I want to do what is right, just, you know, just God help me. And that's really all I have for God. I mean, all that happened in like about 12, 15 seconds. And, you know, and God deserves so much more. That's the little I could bring to the table right there and then. We go to the wedding, we're sitting down, we're there maybe about half hour, this guy comes walking up, I'm sitting down. He walks over, you know, looks at me, says hi, turns to Christy, starts talking, and just starts tossing out some very vulgar, explicit, and even sexual stuff. I turn around, and I, I, man, I can't even describe to you what was going on, but all I know is I just reached out and grabbed him. I grabbed his arm, and I just put my head down, and I said, I spoke his name, and I says, I do not want you to talk to my wife in that way. And it was like silence. And I looked up, and he looked at me, and he says, yeah, yeah, you know, okay, I, uh, I got that. He says, yeah, no, no problem. He says, no, I'm, I'm glad you told me. I get it. You're right. And, and, and then I said, thanks. Thanks for just being straightforward with me. And he turned around, and he walked away. I waited a few minutes. I got up, and I went in the bathroom. And I honestly, really, I, I cried. I cried because I couldn't believe, I knew in that moment that that was God that had, that had worked through that situation. Because it was up to me, I'd have stuck him with a fork right in his head. In the, <laughs> I mean, I would have attacked him. I mean, you know, it, what he was doing was so vulgar. I, I would have just jumped on him. Okay, maybe fork in the head is, is too Italian and too New York. But I, I, I would have got violent with him. But the way I handled myself, I knew. Strong, collective, firm, straightforward, no vulgarity, no violence, part one. Even not even getting up, but yet I'm putting my head down, putting my hands on him. I knew that was all a move of God that, with my little faith, enabled me to do something and behave in a way that was beyond me. And then even the man's reaction was something that people at the table had never seen before. Also now, a, a, a wonderful move of God. huh? God coming in and, and working a miracle. God does that. I'm not jumping ahead of myself, but God works miracles where we're empty. It's usually what happens. If we're not empty, we don't have a need. What's the miracle that, need is to, that needs to take place? God did a miracle in me that moment. He really did. And I came to realize how God, how much he'll do with what little I can give him. Listen, today it's important for you to hear, even if you don't think you have much, even if you don't think you have much to work with, huh? You don't have much experience, you don't have much talent, you don't have much resources, 
Start by giving God what you have. Just, just give, bring to God what you have. Give him your inch, let him grow it to a mile. He's an exponential God. The truth is, his ability to work in your life is not determined on your ability to make something happen, right? You, you got you, you to gotta get that. I hope that came out right. It's not that you're going to make something happen. It's that God is going to take your small and make something large, huh? You will do meaningful things in the kingdom of God. You will see God work through you in ways you never could have imagined. Who today will open up their hearts to God? Who today will say, you know what? I didn't think I had much, but my God, I'm thankful for what I have, and I'm going to bring it in faith to God in this area of my life, and that area of my life. I'm going to turn around and take what little I have, and I'm going to bring it in to build the kingdom of God, and God will be glorified. God, I'm trusting in you, not in me and my resources and what I think is lacking or what I think is insignificant. I'm trusting in you. Now, the one last thing you can do to turn your empty season into a season of dependency on God is trust God to provide what you need. So, trust is huge in every relationship, but no more critical than your one with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about trust that is evident and real in how you live, to trust and to, for God to provide what you need. And this is so... It's so inspiring to see people living out this way. That where they just, it, it, it creates this, so, an attractive humility it, it, to see people living outside themselves, to see people trusting in God, huh? to making the most of what they have, right? Believing that God is going to provide what they need and not trying to manipulate or scramble or push or control to get what they want. And yet when they get what God, what they needed from God, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and I, I've seen that. And when I've seen that in people's lives, it's really, as a minister, it's really inspired me to see people live out that way. I was thinking, is this a good application or not? Maybe, you know. Um, it just changes the way you view things. Uh, I don't know if it's a good fit, but I'm going to put it out there anyway because uh, it's come to me. Uh, when I was ministering years ago in, in the city with Christy, one of the teenagers in, in that lower income area that we were uh, sharing the gospel, um, and he was a precious, he was really one of the kids that got very close to us, he, uh, he came down with cancer. It was a, uh, well, it was, it was a stage four uh, lymphoma cancer, and it just, dev it just hit him hard. Uh, and within weeks, you no know, hair, sores on his tongue, he's in the hospital for like, like a several days at a time when they would give him treatments. And, um, you know, before it all happened, I mean, and, and that, was, that was a result of it. I mean, his body was devastated and ravaged. And uh, prior to all that taking place, upon hearing he had cancer, he now had to go and visit an oncologist. And so I go with him to the oncologist. He's 15 years old at the time. He's got a single mom. She's really so overwhelmed she can't leave work anymore. Um, his father's not in his life. And, and so it's me and Christy. So I go with him to the oncologist. And um, the oncologist is sitting there and telling him all the damage the treatment is going to do to his body. 
And I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to vomit, man, as he's telling him, you're going to lose your hair, you're going to get sores on your tongue. Um, and then he drops the bomb, you know, and uh, he tells him, and, uh, and highly likely, if not certainly, you're not going to be able to have any children. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm not having a good moment with God. I mean, I'm not hating God. I, I, I'm just, I'm just puzzled because he was such a, such a good kid too. And, and he just, he really was. He was a sweet guy, sweet kid. And, and he really had come to faith in God. So many of the other kids, they were, you know, they were struggling. They were, but this kid really had come to a place where we could say, man, he loved God. And I'm like, why? You know, what's going on here? And at that moment, he stops. And all I'm thinking about is, is what he's not going to have, what he's not going to experience. And he looks at me. And he looks at the doctor, and he comes back to me, and he says, Hey, Pastor Dave, he says, You know, you and Christy, you go into those homes where they have children that are abandoned, because that's what me and Christy were doing on Monday nights. You know, uh, you go into those homes where people, kids have been abandoned, and they don't have a mom and a dad. He said, Will I be able to adopt one of those kids? And like the doctor looked at me, I looked at the doctor. We, we knew it was a phenomenal moment, you know. And I just, I just like blurted out, oh, yeah, yeah, you're sure, yeah, you'll be able to adopt one of them. And I, and I knew right there and then that this young man was trusting in God to give him what he believed he needed. He was trusting in God. And, and, and right there in his emptiness, you can't be any more empty than that, hearing what he was going to go through and hearing the projection of what his future would be was leaving me empty of everything, trying my faith in a moment, and here he is, living out his life right there with trusting in God. It was so inspiring to me. I'll never forget it was a life-changing moment. These people who live out their life trusting in God, they give God what they have. They have, I'm going, they, what they do is, it's, they have an attitude that says, I'm going to give God what I have, and I'm going to trust Him to provide what I need. That boy, in my, in my opinion, I, I, it's like he just gave God his dreams. He gave God his future. He gave God his plans. He gave God his thoughts of what it would be, and hey, I'm going to trust in you with what I need. And you know, I'm going to tell you, he got through it. He did it. He survived it. Really, truth be told, it's another sermon, but you know what? He was miraculously healed. He went through three treatments, ravaged his body. He had three more to go. They weren't sure if he was going to make it. In between the third and the fourth, they did a test. And they came back and said, wow, there's not a trace of cancer in his body. And they themselves said, we don't have an explanation for what's happened. All we know is he is cancer-free. His body is cancer-free. To God be the glory. He went on to catch up in high school. He went on to go and serve his country in the army. He went on to graduate college to go for his master's degree. I think he ran for Congress in that area where he lived. Just a, a, a beautiful and a brilliant young man. Again, to God be the glory. Today, I'm hoping you will challenge yourself to increase your trust in God today. Look at those areas of your life, especially where you're empty, and say, you know what? Man, this is an area, a time where I can depend on God and trust in God in my times of being empty. Look at what the widow did. After Elisha's instructions, she went out and she went banging on neighbors' doors to collect jars, jar after jar, empty jar after empty jar, right? I mean, it's not helping me. It's an empty jar. I need a jar with oil, 
My son's going to be taken from me. I don't have money. This guy's coming any day, any hour. But she's collecting these empty jars. And what little she had, her empty jars and that little bit of oil, God provided for her. Verse 5 says, they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. He kept providing and he kept, she kept pouring. You see, what this is saying is God wants to provide for your needs and he will provide for our needs if we trust in and obey him. That's not an, an open checkbook. That's not giving us anything we want. That's God knowing what we need, knowing, our, knowing what our desires are, and bringing provisions that he might be glorified, and that clearly he has sustained us. Catch that. Many of you are concerned with God in this area. Many of you are suspicious of God in this area. Some of you are cynical with God in this area. And especially because you're in a time where you're in an empty season in your life. But don't be cynical, confused, suspicious. Don't do that. Instead, see this as an opportunity for you to grow by becoming dependent on your God and trusting in your God. As I said before, think about this. Where there's something missing in your life, there's an opportunity for God to do a great miracle. Think about that, right? The area that you're empty, the area that something is missing, the area where you think there's a great insufficiency, that's where God can do a great miracle. That's how it works. If there wasn't a need, there'd be no need for a miracle, as I said before. Trust that God is wanting to do something great, beginning with that in your heart. God wants to do something in your heart, despite what's in your hands. It's easy to trust God when our hands are full. But God is call, talk, calling us to trust him when our hands are empty, but our hearts are filled with a trust and a love for him. Right? What if God wants to do a great work in your life and in your heart? What if God wants to increase your love of him? What if that healing needs to take place before your circumstances change? Right? God wants to change, your circumstances need to be changed, but you need to be healed first in that area in your life, in that part of your relationship with God, in that area where maybe you're not dependent on God. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to be secure. So many of us, we suffer with security. We do. We suffer with really being secure you, you hear so much about anxiety, anxiety. You know, it, it's, it's the antithesis to feeling secure, to feeling sound, to feeling whole. And God is calling us to security today because of the hope we have in Jesus. Because of who Jesus is and what he did, we are secure. Paul writes, as we close out in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, secured in God's love, anchored in God's love, verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp 
How wide and long, high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure and all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God wants to do as you are rooted and anchored and secure in his love, which is so deep and so wide and so high that you're immersed in this as you lean on him, as you trust in him, as you depend on him, this is where you are. And in that place, as you now give him the little you have, but with great trust, this is now where God does immeasurably more than you've asked him to do. We go back to that more. There's more for you. He's going to do more than you can imagine. He's going to do more than you've even asking him to do. You're asking him to fill this, you know, this emptiness. The, the widow just wanted enough oil to pay off the debt of her husband. And there was enough to pay off the debt and then to pay and then to live on some more. She had excess. It was more than she thought, more than she imagined. That's the work that God will do in us. It's right there. It says it right there in the scripture. It's the promise. So here's what it means. We come to God with emptiness, right? We're empty. We're empty. God, it's difficult. Stress is building. Things are coming apart. I feel insufficient. I don't have enough to keep together. I'm empty. And God says, I can fill you up. Trust me. We come to God. Man, there's struggles with the kids. This is coming apart. It's not right. It's happening again. It's breaking down. And God says, hey, you know what? Trust in me. I can be trusted, right? I can be. God says, I am enough this morning. Lean into me. Depend on me. God says, my love will keep pouring into your emptiness. I was always enough. I am still enough. I am more than enough. Just like that oil didn't run out on the widow, my love will never run out for you. Because of that, See your circumstances differently. See your emptiness differently, right? And you will experience life differently. It's a special thing to come to that place of satisfaction with God, right? When that God does a work in you that you have come to such a place of satisfaction because of your closeness with him, huh? God can work a miracle in your life and in your emptiness that first miracle takes place in your heart when that's what happens. Is that right now I am so satisfied huh, with my God. I am so satisfied with my life because I am close to God and I've come to a place of trust and, and a place of leaning into and living in His deep and wide love that I'm good. That's a great miracle in you. That's the first one. Today you want to Take that step. If you came in here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you did not realize you need Jesus, huh? You did not realize that Jesus is the ultimate answer to your emptiness. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's great promise to you and me, His creation. You want to take a hold of that promise today to have eternal life. You want to take a hold of the promise for your sins to be forgiven. You want to take a hold of the promise of peace and joy today. And you do that by turning to your God, your creator, 
asking him to forgive you of your sins, the things you've done, intentionally or in ignorance, knowing or not knowing that we're against a holy God, or really against a God who loves you. And yet the Bible says in that while you were sinning and missing a mark, God demonstrated his love for you and that Christ died for you. Wow! And that you would have this moment where you could turn to God, speak to God, share with him your need of forgiveness, your, your desire to know him more, and your decision to follow Jesus. And the Bible says you've been rescued. You've been rescued. You are co-heres with Christ of God's kingdom. Charles Spurgeon, a, a great preacher, 1800, says this, For God, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. Listen, trust God's heart this morning where you need to ask yourself that question, where do I need to offer God what I have? I'm not holding back. Decide today, ask yourself where you need to trust God to provide what you need. And know this, you might not be able to trace his hand, but you can know and you can trust his heart this morning. God is enough no matter how empty the season is you are in is. What an opportunity for you to depend on God today. To God be the glory. Have an awesome day. Can't wait to see you next week.